Hello, and welcome to The Cost of Health, the podcast that tells the stories of the real impact of rising health care costs on Americans, brought to you by the North Carolina Coalition for Fiscal Health. I'm your host and executive director of the coalition, Michael Kraskin. On the show this week, Dr. John Spangler has been a family physician in Winston-Salem, North Carolina for 25 years. Recently, he noticed a disturbing and potentially tragic trend among his patients. More and more, he hears that their necessary prescriptions have become unaffordable, forcing them to make difficult decisions like whether to pay for their medication or buy groceries for their children. I sat down with Dr. Spangler in his office at Wake Forest to hear about some of his patients. He also let me behind the scenes on how pharmaceutical companies market their drugs to doctors. I began by asking him about his work. Dr. John Spangler, I'm a family physician at Wake Forest School of Medicine, and I I teach medical students, I do some research, but one of the main things I do is actually be a primary care physician for my patients. And so I see patients just about every day. I'm also doing some of my other responsibilities as a faculty member here at Wake Forest. And what kinds of patients do you usually see? What kinds of things are they coming in for? Is it? Yeah, I see the I see the whole gamut. Last week, I saw a two month old one visit, and then a couple of visits later, I saw a nine year old. So, you know, in family medicine, we say womb to tomb. I see the whole gamut of primary care, take care of patients' cholesterol, their blood pressure, their diabetes, make sure they're up to date on their immunizations and cancer screening. So basically, just your general family doc. And how long have you been doing that here? 25 years. You've been out in, at Wake? I've been here at Wake on faculty doing basically the exact same job that whole time. It's inspiring because I get to teach medical students and residents, and I can convey to them ways to treat patients, ways to be sensitive to patients' needs, and even teach them about things like choosing affordable Healthcare for patients, not over-diagnosing, not under-diagnosing, not over-treating. Now, I had learned about Dr. Spangler from an op-ed he had recently written for the Greensboro News and Records. We'll put a link on our website to the full article, but I asked him to share a couple stories for the podcast. Sure. One story is about who I'll call Mrs. Smith. She was in her mid-40s and had bad diabetes. She had two children. And I gave her one of the best uh, insulins to help with diabetes, a long-acting insulin called Lantus. It's really useful in uh, that it provides insulin over a 24-hour period. And she came back to me uh, after I would prescribed it a month or two earlier, and she just said, Dr. Spangler, I can't afford that insulin. Um, That Lantus was $250. You know, I have two growing boys, and I have to pay the electricity bill, the rent. So it really came down to me choosing between, you know, groceries and insulin. And so that's why my blood sugar is 320 today. And I said, I'm, I'm so sorry. So we had to choose a different diabetes insulin regimen for her, one that's not quite as good, but used cheaper uh, insulin. So the best care for her really was not any longer an option. She just couldn't afford it. She was very upfront. My kids have to eat. Uh, Often, when it's a parent, especially, the thing that gets dropped is the parent's medicine so that the children can have what they need. 
When you say the one you moved her to wasn't the best, does that mean it came with additional health risks? You know, you can control blood sugar on it. It's more difficult. Um, and patients actually do better if they have the 24-hour Lantus, which she couldn't afford. How much money did that end up saving her? Well, so that probably saved her about $150 a month. Wow. At least. And um, maybe even more because, it, you know, if you shop around, sometimes you can find different specials. And so sometimes I'll have the patient get their insulin at pharmacy A and next month is pharmacy B. They have a better, a better deal on it. Um, there's also some coupons that we can get. It did save her a lot of money, enabled her to provide for her children as well as take care of herself. How did the coupons work? Where did those come from? So there's a website called goodrx.com, and it allows you to type in the drug that you need to purchase and your zip code, and it will tell you the cost at, you know, maybe half a dozen pharmacies in your area. Often it can save lots of money, but for some drugs, especially the very expensive drugs, it really doesn't save much money at all. So even with a discount coupon, the best she could get for her long-acting Lantus insulin was $250 a month. And so that just, you know, there's no way I could help her afford that. No, that's a, that's a huge amount of money, and that $150 savings probably paid for, for a lot of meals for those grown boys. That's so right. That's, uh, that's right. She's just so thankful that she can provide for her children and still get the insulin she needs. I mean, she still has to pay about $100 a month for her medicines, uh, which is a lot when you're on a, you know, a limited income. Uh, she works at a uh, takeout fast food restaurant. And so, you know, she's making minimum wage. She's a, she's a very hard worker, wonderful, delightful person. She's taken on an extra shift working now that her kids are older. You know, this is someone we want to help. You know, people talk about the makers and the takers. Well, she's a maker. She's active in her church. She's active in her uh, kids' school. You know, this is someone that really is struggling to do the right thing. She's working. She's trying to provide for her kids. She makes minimum wage. You know, you see someone like that who really, really is trying and just can't afford to get the best possible care. You can hear Dr. Spangler's frustration for Mrs. Smith, and frankly, I was getting frustrated as well. So I asked him why a good drug for a common condition needed to cost so much. Well, you know, there's a variety of reasons why drugs cost so much. The drug companies say, and there's some truth to this, that they spend three or four hundred million dollars bringing a new drug to market. And that's probably true. But how much recouping or recovering of that cost is enough. You know, drugs that are blockbuster drugs generate for the drug company billions and billions and billions of dollars. And one of the reasons why is that they charge a lot of money. So drug companies are, you know, given a patent-protected period, something like seven years, maybe a little bit longer, and no one can make that drug as a generic during that time period. So the drug company is allowed to recoup the upfront cost of research and development. 
but at what cost to society? Dr. Spangler makes a really good point here. It's important for pharmaceutical companies to know that they can make a profit off the life-saving drugs they make. But we intuitively know that some costs just don't make sense and are too high. You may have heard of the pharma bro, Martin Shkreli, whose company increased the cost of Daraprim, a drug they acquired, not developed, acquired, by 5,000%, raising the cost of a single pill from $13.50 to $750. Many people cheered when Shkreli was recently sent to prison for securities fraud, but Daraprim remains prohibitively expensive. I have another patient um, who lives in um, a rural county north of us. He was a longtime smoker, unfortunately, but he has really bad lung disease, and he should be on the best lung medications possible. And there are a number out there, but one that really would be the best thing for him is called Spireba. And you've probably seen Spireba on TV. It opens up the lung passages and helps patients breathe. So we actually went through the process of trying to get him the medication through the drug company. And we filled out all the paperwork, which is a lot of paperwork, and sent it in. And he, he didn't qualify. And so, you know, we were kind of stuck. You know, you should be on this medicine, but financially you don't qualify for the drug company's discount program. Can you talk a little bit about that, why someone would not qualify? So, you know, if you make too much money a month, or what they consider to be too much money a month, then you may not qualify for their lower cost or even free program. Um, I have had patients that are able to get free Spireva, free Lantus, even free Xarelto. But these are patients that really have very, very limited means. And if you have more than limited means, if you make a little bit more money per month than their cutoff, you can't get it. So not only do you not qualify for a program like Medicaid, which can pay for your prescriptions, you also don't qualify for the free or reduced drug cost benefit. When you say, when you say free... Someone's paying for it, right? That's true. How does that work? So uh, that's a good point. Um, really, nothing is free. The drug companies, they're able to, to pay for that, probably for two reasons. One is that actually making the drug itself is not that expensive for them. And then, two, they're making so much money selling it to people at full cost that they can just give it away. I was curious, so I looked up the cost of Spireva on my own health plan's website. The cost for a 30-day supply of Spireva Respimat is $1,301. In my case, my plan would pay for the full amount. I'm lucky. But that cost gets passed on to everyone in my group in the form of premium payments. We started talking about what it meant that some drugs could cost over $1,000 a month or nothing at all depending on the circumstance. You've probably had the experience going to a doctor's office and the doctor gives you free samples of a new drug. That's a lot of money. It helps them in the long run because it makes doctors know to prescribe those new drugs. But if they're able to give out that many free samples, it really is not that expensive for them to actually make the drug. That's a really good point. The trend these days is for doctor's offices to decline accepting free samples. Our, our medical center and a lot of medical centers across the nation 
issued policies that we won't re- accept any free samples. Um, and you think, well, that's not so good for the patient. Well, it probably is better for the patient because the free samples we get are of the newest drugs that are most expensive. And so it's really, it's been shown that by giving doctors free samples, doctors are more likely to prescribe those newer expensive drugs that are free samples. It's also been shown that if you don't do that, if you're at a medical center that doesn't allow that, you save a lot of drug costs. Really? So, and it's even been shown that You know, if a drug company gives you a notepad with their drug name on it or a pen with their drug name on it, there is this subliminal suggestion to you every time you write a prescription that, oh, that's a choice. That drug is a choice. And you're more likely just holding a drug pen in your hand that has the drug name on it just holding that in your hand and using that in clinic as your uh, writing instrument, just by doing that, you are more likely to prescribe that drug. There is this sort of subtle suggestion. That's incredible. I didn't know it was that powerful. And you said your practice stopped accepting free drugs. How long ago was that? That was probably about 10 years ago. There's been a, a huge movement, really, looking into the cost of drugs and one of the driving costs of medication is marketing of medication. And marketing includes not only being on primetime television, but marketing also includes um, drug representatives who go from office practice to office practice talking to doctors about their new medications. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Doctors do need to know about new medications. The problem is that That relationship that a doctor may develop with a a drug representative, just having that relationship makes it a little bit more likely that that doctor will actually use the drug that the representative is talking about. And so, you know, it's a payoff for the drug company to have the drug representative because if you start getting a doctor in the habit of writing a new and expensive medication, that doctor is likely to continue writing that new medication really for the rest of that patient's need for that medication. And so it it pays off for them. Generally, the drug representatives also come at lunchtime. They provide a nice meal, and they usually give a slideshow or presentation about the benefits of their drug, which, you know, educates the whole staff, the nurses, the front desk, the doctors about this drug. It gets the drug into the vocabulary of uh, the staff. And so they, you know, they hear the drug's name. Oh, I heard about that. And so, you know, it's easier for them to get refills. Uh, They know about the drug. It's easier for the doctor to prescribe it. I used to, I mean, we used to get dropped off at our department, you know, baseball caps or, you know, squeezy balls for your hand (laughs) to relieve stress or little (laughs) footballs or all, you know, cups or whatever with the drug's names on it. And they don't do that anymore. Well, not at Baptist. Um, Baptist Hospital, our, our medical center, uh, made it a policy that we, we do not do that. And there are other, other facilities that do that. Some doctor's offices, especially in rural areas where they really do depend on the samples, it really is a benefit for their patient in that situation, still have the drug uh, representatives come and give talks. Are there formal rules about how far they can go with these... I don't want to call them bribes, These uh, the swag they hand out. 
there probably are former rules. And they can't buy you a car. I don't, you know, I think a lot of it just really depends more on ethics rather than just the cost. So you, you can actually go to ProPublica and look up your doctor and see whether he or she has received money from drug companies. But sometimes you'll see, well, the doctor's office got a free lunch. You may notice, though, that the doctor got $50,000 for lecturing on that drug. So it can be eye-opening, and I would, I would urge patients to look and see what their doctors have received. It may be eye-opening in the sense that, gosh, they received that money, and they were really pushing that drug to me in clinic. Hmm, that seems... Anyway, sunshine is a good thing. Fifty thousand dollars—that sounded crazy to me. And then I realized, at the prices you've been saying, they only have to write ten prescriptions to have that pay off. For right? Them. Yeah. So, or, or you know, a hundred. You know, yeah. but over their lifetime, oh, yeah. if they I just mean, even just yeah. even one patient, if you prescribe it every single month at four hundred and fifty dollars a month, I mean. And you're going to be doing that for more than one patient. You know, it adds up pretty quickly. Wow. Drug companies are able to go to CVS or Walgreens and find out what Dr. Spangler is prescribing. Is he describing my drug or not? Right. And realizing that Dr. Smith doesn't prescribe this medicine yet, the drug representative can present this medicine to Dr. Smith. And, and then the drug rep uh, representative and the drug company would be able to follow up and see, well, did that pay off? Did Dr. Smith start prescribing it? And often the, the answer is yes. Dr. Spangler was not exaggerating about marketing costs. In 2015, a company called Dataviz compiled data comparing how much pharmaceutical companies spent on research and development versus marketing. For instance, in 2013, Pfizer spent $6.6 billion on R&D but $11.4 billion on marketing. Novartis, $9.9 billion on R&D, and $14.6 billion for marketing. And Johnson & Johnson, get this, spent $8.2 billion on research and development, but had a marketing budget more than twice that, $17.5 billion. That's more than double the gross national product of Monaco. As we work to find ways to reduce healthcare costs, it is key to remember that the costs are often driven by these prices, which are largely invisible to the healthcare consumer. Understanding why these costs are so high is an important first step in the conversation. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcast app. If you have a story you would like to share or just want to get in touch, please contact me at michael at fiscalhealthnc.com or on Twitter at Michael CK. Make sure to join the North Carolina Coalition for Fiscal Health online at fiscalhealthnc.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at fiscalhealthnc.com.